Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Praise the Lord. Philippians 3, and going to be making a lot of reference today to the book of Job as well. So you just might want to slide a finger just in the book, anywhere we'll do. Amen. Uh, Philippians 3 and 10, the Bible states these words, the Apostle Paul writing, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. No one running around the church now. I know that's good stuff. We like to quote that. A lot of people like just to quote that part of the verse and leave the rest just dangling there. He says, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. Amen. This morning, I want to talk to us about this, and we'll get there eventually. I want to talk about strength in praise strength in praise just a little Bible lesson here today Father I love you this morning Lord we appreciate you Jesus in this house God those that have made a concerted effort to be in the house of the Lord we know God that you honor that you honor their faithfulness Lord Jesus to God more so than the place but to you by virtue of coming to the place I pray oh Lord today that you have to help them strengthen them Lord in their lives God encourage Lord Jesus those in need of it Lord today will not fail to glorify you in the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray amen and amen the church say amen amen you may be seated this morning strength and praise how many want to know the Lord Amen. And, and it would be uh, foolish for us not to continue with the Apostle Paul and say that we would not want to know him in the power of his resurrection. But uh, as we all know, there is the underlying hidden, hidden meaning just even within that, within itself. Uh, if you want to know him in the power of his resurrection, then there's something that precedes a resurrection in order for there to be one. And that's a death. And so... It's kind of just encompassed in the saying, knowing him in the power of his resurrection, we must then know him in the steps that lead up to that. And that is his death and the suffering, the fellowship of his suffering that led to his death. That would be the very precursor, if you will, to his resurrection. And if there was one individual in Scripture that no doubt knew him in these particular uh, ways, it was the man Job. I think it's important today. Some people want to color Job uh, with the colors of it being some type of religious fiction. But Job is not a religious fiction. It's not something that was false, something that was made up or contrived. The book of Job is very much so uh, a, a real life story. As a matter of fact, we see in the book of Ezekiel that Ezekiel, when he's talking about how the children of Israel and the nation of Israel is going to have some hardships, he names Noah and Job and Daniel saying that if these three were even within the city they would not even be able to get it spared so he puts Job right in there with two other known individuals and for that matter 
in, in the book of James, Job is mentioned again. In the New Testament, he is mentioned, and there's reference made to him. He's not, it's not a parable. It's not a false story. He's a real person, and guess what? With also real problems, as is the, the way of humanity. And the Bible tells us, though, a little bit concerning the character of Job. The Bible tells us that he was perfect and upright, not perfect in the way that you and I would necessarily think perfect but he he was mature he was mature he was he was grown he was uh he was at a place of maturity in his life upright the bible says the bible says that he shunned the evil it's a great character to have in the life of an individual he had integrity all right so in other words he wasn't a hypocrite in the sight of god he wasn't a hypocrite he wasn't professing to be something that he was not uh, and so with that being said it means that basically what Job was on the outside that's what he was on the inside he didn't have a facade he didn't have anything that he tried to portray himself as something that deep down inside that he was not and so what he was in public he was in private amen which is an honorable honorable trait of any individual we could basically say it like this Job was just real he was just very very real and he was a prosperous man he was a very prosperous man he had a large family had a large family had an abundance of land an abundance of of animals and livestock and servants but what was uh, a key factor for job is this is that for job being rich did not turn him away from his god and i think that's important because we see a lot of other places in scripture that christ is even telling his disciples that that those that are of wealth they they can hardly make it into the kingdom that seems like with much difficulty that they will that almost the riches can be a, a, a pullback upon them it can be very difficult for them uh, to go on and choose and depend on God rather than their riches but Job is a good example Old Testament example regardless he's a good example that his riches had not turned to his heart his life and his mind away from the Lord because he acknowledged the Lord he acknowledged the Lord had given him what he had knowledge the Lord he, because he said the common popular phrase the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away Job was a man that that recognized what he had though by many people's standards of his day was much he understood it had come from from the Lord come from the hand of God and he had used that no doubt uh, for others Job also had some quote-unquote friends uh, today we call them Job's comforters and sometimes we use that in a loose sense even for some of our own friends uh, Job comforters but Job comforters but they were still friends amen and it seems in scripture and I, I, please just bear with me I, I'm going to go through this as though maybe you you haven't heard or don't know it for the sake of those that haven't okay but just almost in a frightful or faithful 24-hour period it would seem that Job was stripped of that wealth that God had given him and also of the majority of his family uh, accepting his wife all this was taken away one after another there were four messengers that had come to report to Job things that had been lost that his 500 yoke of oxen are gone that his 500 donkeys they're gone Job 3,000 camels were stolen in the raids of the enemy against uh, his household 7,000 sheep that he had were struck uh, seemingly it almost seems as though by lightning in some manner killed all ten of his children all ten of his children were killed the windstorm came and collapsed the house where they were gathering and shortly thereafter we understand that Job's own health and his body was afflicted 
He had boils from the top of his head to the sole of his feet. And then he was contending with, with a wife that was contending with the same things that he was contending with and going through all these things together. Now, here is the thing. Job knew what happened. He had the reports from the servants whose lives were spared to tell him about everything that happened to his livestock. He knew what happened. He knew his children were gone. He was aware of that. He knew what happened. He understood that his riches, his own health was failing. He knew what happened. But what he did not know is why it had all happened. Amen. And uh, many times we find ourselves in the very same scenario. We know what's going on. We know what's happening to us. We, 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 we know because we can look, if you will, at the bank, bank reconciling statement or, or you feel the pain and the aches and the different things that you're contending with in your body uh, or, or whether it's havoc from your family. You know what's taking place, but the greater question is you don't know why. You don't know why it's taking place. And here's the thing. Many times the people around you don't know why either, but they can come up with some pretty good maybes. Yeah, or maybe not so good. <laughs> but they try to introduce those into your life. Amen, because you know what, but you don't know why. And so the crux of the matter here in the book of Job is that he did not know why. And the book of Job gives us a, a, a special little view behind the curtain. It allows us to see the scene of the heavenlies where God is there, uh, the, the sons of men as it would be the angels have gathered around as it were and Satan came also among them the Bible says so we have a view unlike any other something that's taken place down here on the earth and we're seeing a reflection then of what's taken place in the heavenlies and so here is God and here are those that are gathered around and Satan comes among them and God and Satan begin to have a conversation in the heavenlies over this man this life that we know to be as Job now whenever we see this we know who caused the, 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 the destruction we know who caused that because of this heavenly conversation we understand that the enemy was able to do some, some things that otherwise he was not capable of doing because God allowed him or permitted him to do so now that's great for us we're like we got this but Job didn't know that Job wasn't aware that the Lord had permitted the adversary to do some things move in and do some things he didn't have any benefit of that knowledge at all amen and for that matter amen if we did not have this insight like we like we do but job didn't if we didn't have this insight we'd probably take the same approach as job's friends took it's easy to nail them to a cross for the way that they handled things and handled job and even the opinions that they gave but we're saying that having the knowledge that the lord permitted some of these things into Job's life now if you didn't have that knowledge and I didn't have that knowledge we might do some of the same things so I'll tell you what they probably got unrepented sin in their life huh now let's be honest let's be honest let's let's just consider some things that may have happened in our real lives down here to individuals and your wheels start turning some of the things that you've conjured up probably why that's happening to them you'll probably find that they're written right there in the book of Job because we don't know what's happening in the heavenlies. We don't know what's happening, amen, above. And so they, they come in, and then even Job begins to blame himself for this tragedy, amen. And here's the thing, even if we've never said those things to someone going through a circumstance, it still hasn't kept us from thinking them, right? 
Bless your heart, I do give you props for not saying it, although you may have thought it, all right? But that, that still doesn't keep us from that. The Bible says in Job 1 and verse number 8, the Bible states this word here in Job 1 and verse number 8. Job comes right before Psalms, if you want to know. The Bible states this. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and assureth evil. So the verse states very clearly to you and I, basically by the Lord's own admission to Satan concerning the character of Job, that clearly that God himself must have had no reason, as it would seem, to punish Job. But evidently, this all came about for some higher purpose. For the Lord's own estimation, there's an unlike him in the earth. He's perfect. He's upright. He's one that even feareth me. And he shuns evil. So evidently, there's nothing that God is going to bring upon Job right here for the purpose of punishing Job. But there must be some higher purpose in it. The Bible says, it says in James 5.11, James 5, you just stay at Job. It says, Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job. And have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. He said, you have heard of the patience or the consistent, cheerful, and hopeful endurance of Job. Most people say that the theme of Job is the age-old question of why does a loving and a righteous God permit the godly to suffer? That is the question of our age and probably every generation for lifetimes upon lifetimes. And they say that the theme of Job is really that right there. It's that question. Why does a loving and a compassionate, righteous God allow the godly to suffer? But if that is the theme of this book, the question is never really truly answered throughout the book of Job. Amen. But really, perhaps the theme or the question of this book instead is how do the righteous endure suffering all right not so much why does god permit these things but how do those who are even according to god's estimation upright issue evil all these things how do they deal contend with and endure the sufferings that come upon their life amen because here's the thing, folks. We really don't live by God's explanations as much as His promises. Huh? Right? Now, I know there are those modes of life we get in that we seek and we try to live by explanation. Uh-huh. God telling us the whys for everything that goes on in our life. But we can't really have a healthy relationship with God trying to live life off explanation because the fact of the matter is you will not always know everything's not going to be explained although God is great and generous and kind he doesn't have to explain to humanity see that kind of really that really contradicts this whole fact of him being Lord Master and God and us being his followers and disciples why would the master have to explain to the servant what he does he don't have to. He's sovereign. He can do what he desires to do without any explanation. But we can live by his promises. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, verses 5 through 6, Let your conversation be without covetousness, 
and be content with such things as ye have. All right? Here's the promises of God, okay? For he hath said, I will never leave thee. Huh? I will never forsake thee. Right? So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. So, by not living by the explanation of God, but living by the promise of God, here is one promise amongst many, one promise among many that kind of with a broad brush, he says, I'll never, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Now, what that does for me then, if I'm in a similar fashion as Job is, I, my health is bad, I've lost members of my family, there's even a little uh, contention just between me and my wife because of what's going on. Hmm? That's really what's taking place with Job. Well, there's contention because of everything that's happened. They're under a lot of stress. They're under a heavy load. With all these things going on, what I learned is this. Though I may not know the why, I do know the promise. And the promise says that God said he would never leave me. He doesn't put, he doesn't put any more uh, uh, specification on that. It's not like, I will never leave you when things are going well. That's not the statement here. The statement wasn't, I'll never forsake you as long as you just do everything that's pleasing to me. That wasn't it. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Boom. That's it. And so I guess for encouragement today, if you're going through some things that seem to be closing in on around you, rather than trying to find the answer to the why, amen, just lean upon the promise that he told us, I'll not leave you. I'll not forsake you. Because you can frustrate something that you're already a part of going on in life with wondering why, why, why. Just push that aside as, as hard as that is. Push that aside and depend upon living for the promise of God. I know that my health right now seems to be failing me, but he said he wouldn't leave me in the middle of my health failing. He wouldn't forsake me in the middle of my health. I can't, I don't understand everything that's happening right now. I don't have to understand. All I need to know is that I'm not in this by myself and I'm not in this alone. Amen? Now, why do we need that promise? We need that promise because as God let down the hedge on Job and all these things coming in around him, whenever things like that happen, you know what? We tend to believe that God is far from us. Problems, circumstances, those things that we can't answer, whenever all those happen, we assume the idea that God is far from us. And so since he knew, since he knew the, 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 the tendency of humanity to have that thought process, he says, I'm going to marry that then with a promise. Since they have a tendency to believe that I'm far from them when bad happens, then I'm going to marry that with a promise to let them know I am there, I'm not leaving you, I'm not forsaking you, even during those moments of time. Amen. Someone say amen. One of the most common Bible commands of some variation throughout the Scripture is fear not. We see that. I think bishops say there's like 365 fear knots. They always say there was a one fear knot for each day of the Bible or each, each day of the year, 365 fear knots. But the most common Bible promise, listen to me, the most common Bible promise in Scripture is some variation of I will be with you. You see it over and over again from Genesis on through Revelation. There's a promise that he is constantly, there's a thing that would seem with the promises. I will be with you. The Bible says in Matthew 1, 23, 
Uh, here is the story of the birth of Christ. The Bible says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted is what? God with us. God with us. Amen. So God is sovereign. God is all-powerful. Said, well, the Satan's on my back. He's coming into my life. But the fact of the matter is this. Satan cannot do anything to God's people without God's permission. We give Satan more power than what God has given him sometimes. Amen. Satan has power that's been delegated to him from another. He is a created being. Satan is a created being. He was created as... Uh, 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 the cherub that covereth in the heavens amen he fell from that estate he is a created being and so he cannot do anything to you without the permission of God so even if we believe that it is the adversary working against us know well that evidently our God has allowed him to be able to do what he's doing amen Satan's kind of like a mean dog but he's on a strong leash Amen. And so when we, we open the, the first few chapters of Job, they're kind of like a courtroom scene. And, and God and Satan are delivering different verdicts back and forth about Job. And so Satan's basically saying, man, Job, Job's guilty. Job's guilty. Satan's always going to do that. Revelation denotes him being the accuser of the brethren. Amen. He'll, 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 denote, he'll say that you're guilty even whenever you're not guilty because if he can make you think you're guilty, you'll start living as though you are. And so he'll constantly be the accuser of the brethren. He's saying he's guilty, but God is saying not guilty. Amen. And listen, folks, please render yourself to the voice of the Lord. If you're going to believe anything, believe what heaven's trying to say more so than what the adversary's trying to say. Amen. And so with that being said, Satan's accusations didn't come against Job as it would seem, but in reality, what's happened to Job is actually an attack against God. Just, just, just walk with me here because we might paraphrase it just a little bit like this. Satan's telling God, the only reason that, that Job fears you is because you pay him to do it. <laughs> I mean, you've given him wealth. You've given him riches. You to have this little contract. You protect him. You prosper him just as long as he obeys and he worships you. So you're not a God then that's worthy of worship. You have to pay people to honor you. I mean, can you just imagine? So the really the attack here isn't so much against Job as it is trying to get against God. And so the real reason why Job is going through the suffering that Job is going through and all these accusations of Satan is against him it's for the proving that a man would honor God even if he lost everything. So the attack isn't so much so against Job as God is using Job as evidence. Woo! Well, I just felt a little Holy Ghost come in here. God was using Job as evidence that what he says, what he's led with concerning the verdict, he's not guilty and that he is a God and that his people love him, honor him and worship him through the highs, through the lows, through the mediocre. And so Job is the evidence really that's used here in the case. But Job didn't know that. Job did So 
If you feel like you're being overwhelmed today, uh, let me just tell you something. You may be exhibit A. You, you might just be exhibit A in the courtroom of the heavenlies. Amen. Job's life was the battleground of God and Satan. They were engaged in a spiritual struggle that didn't just remain in the realm of the spiritual but it came down to the physical through an individual's life. And the question is, is God worthy of man's worship? Regardless. Amen. We, we, we touched on this Wednesday night. We had several things concerning spiritual matters. And a scripture I don't know if we ever brought up, but it's good to bring up concerning this in Ephesians 6, 12. The Bible says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness, of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. What's going on in Job? There wasn't a wrestle against flesh and blood. There was a battle of spiritual things going on within the life. Amen to Job. And God was trying to use him as an example. Furthermore, furthermore, consider this. I think in Ephesians also, Ephesians 2, the Bible speaks about three things that we uh, contend with. Amen. It talks about the world or worldliness. It talks about, if you will, not only that, but it talks about that there is the devil. And it also talks about, if you will, our flesh. These three things that are contended with. And so when, are we cons when we consider this, I want you to know these are not like three individual things that come against man, but it's really... Listen to me very clearly. The devil works through the world to attack your flesh. You hear me? The devil works through the real world things to attack your flesh. And we see that illustrated within the life of Job. Amen. And so some of the so-called tragedies and trials that we live as God's people really have nothing more. They're, they're just a way that God is trying to use us as an exhibit, amen, toward our adversary. Now, here's where I want to get to this morning and, 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 and perhaps go just a little beyond this. Notice what the Scripture says. Psalmist David said, and if you put it up there, Psalms 8 and verse number 2. Uh, Brother Zach, if you can get that for me. Psalms 8 and verse number 2. And I also want to go to Matthew 21 and verse 16. What happens in Psalms 8, there is uh, David uh, uses a verse here. Uh, he, he states some words. And then in Matthew 21, these words are restated by Christ Jesus. You see that oftentimes in the Scripture. You've seen something in the New Testament that was quoted in the Old Testament. And sometimes it's not exact word for word just like it was quoted in the Old Testament. You see it in the New Testament, it ain't just word for word. That's not, that's not the New Testament writers uh, doing an injustice to the Old Testament. That's not them misquoting. But as we'll see with Jesus, what he's actually doing is interpreting what was spoken in the Old Testament. Look at this. Psalms 8 and verse number 2. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength. Someone say ordained strength. Because of thine enemies that thou mightest steal the enemy and the avenger. So that's what David said. Out of the mouths of babe and sucklings thou hast ordained strength. Well, Matthew 21, verse 16, whenever Jesus, whenever Jesus goes to this place and he speaks to some people, they say unto him and say unto him, hearest thou what these say? It's whenever they're saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. They're told Christ, said, do you hear what these people are saying? And Jesus said unto them, he goes back 
and he quotes to a certain degree Psalms 8 and 2 but in reality it's not a direct quote he's really interpreting Psalms 8 and 2 he says yea have ye never read out of the mouths of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise now look at this notice David said out of the mouths of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength while Jesus says out of the mouths of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise again Jesus isn't misquoting David he knows the scriptures better than anybody he's not misquoting David but rather he's interpreting the scripture and explaining the truth behind what David had spoken what David had said in other words when we praise God even when we don't understand the situations huh right which put us almost in a childlike posture uh-huh when we don't understand because that's you know your children is the one with a thousand questions right and the question about the question as they grow older he says whenever we whenever we praise God we win battles in the heavenlies because praise is ordained strength Does someone hear me today he said, out of the mouths of babes and suckling, you've ordained strength. Jesus said, you've perfected praise because there is strength in our praise. There is strength in our praise. Not just on your good days, but on your bad days, your most intimidating days. There is strength in your praise. Yes, what's the first thing Job does? He's heard all about the loss of his kids, the loss of his livestock, all everything that's turned against him. The Bible says he rents his clothes, he falls down on the ground, and he worships. He worships. And we have a lot more chapters of people telling him what he needs to do, what he ought to do, why this has come upon him. And in the end, we still see Job standing and he's lasted through it all and his latter half was better than his former half. But what we see in the very beginning is some strength was ordained from his worship. Some, some strength, some, some carry on, some endurance was carried forth from his first action of falling down and worshiping. And so how does a person, it's not why does this happen, but how does a person respond when these things happen? And if you can worship, if you can revere and respect and honor the Lord at the very start of it, God is going to come alongside you with strength and grant you, if you will, some might against the avenger. Look what he said in, in, in Psalms. He said, Thou art ordained strength because of thine enemies. Thou mightest steal the enemy and the avenger. Look what happens but how does that strength get ordained it's through praise praise brings the strength and then the strength overpowers overconquers takes over the adversary someone say amen hallelujah I mean the book of, I mean it looks like a bunch of long speeches between Job and his friends not seem to be making much progress you know walking around the same old things but there's some incredible lessons here for those of us or those that may be here this morning that are suffering amen and so here again Job's comforters come familiar phrase describe we use it some people use it today it describes nothing more but people whose help only makes you feel worse <laughs> you know just wanted to encourage you with that this morning that's the way you feel like when some people leave after 
granted, they had some, some admirable characters, qualities. For one thing, we, let's not just totally discount them. They cared enough that they, they traveled a long distance to visit Job. Okay, number one. They sympathized with him, empathized with him. They didn't sit in a comfortable place. The Bible says they sat down in the ash heap where Job was. So that, that's, that's to be commended. They sat there, and the grief was so great for him. And even they, they didn't speak to him for seven days. Maybe that's what they should have did for the rest of their time there. I don't know. But that's commendable as well. But when they did begin to speak, regrettably, they like became the prosecuting attorneys instead of a supportive witness. And in the end, the Lord even rebuked them. They had to ask for Job's forgiveness. Amen? He had to pray for them. But look, they tried to give some explanations. They, Job's friends tried to answer the why when the whole purpose of the story wasn't the why, but was how you contend during these things. Here, here, here's something important. If you think... If you think friends and relatives are going to be able to answer what God can't answer, then you are barking up some tall trees. But we do it all the time. When we're not getting the explanation from God, we think our peers can answer the why in our life. That's really some faulty thinking, folks. Do you think that they have such wisdom and knowledge and this, you know, plug into somehow life that they'll be able to explain to you what God hasn't? Amen. But look, Eliphaz. You can read concerning Eliphaz in Job 4, verses 13 through 17. And I guess for the sake of doing so, and so uh, if it's been a while since you've read through the book of Job, we'll just go there and do it just because everybody likes to read the Word of God anyway. Amen. Job chapter number 4 and verse number 13, the Bible states these words. It says, in thoughts, this is Eliphaz, in thoughts from the visions of the night, when deep sleep falleth on men, fear came upon me, and trembling which made all my bones to shake. Then a spirit passed before my face, and the hair of my flesh stood up. That is a goosebump written in Scripture. I'm telling you, it is. That is a goosebump written in Scripture. And I stood still, but I could not discern the form thereof. An image was before mine eyes. There was silence, and I heard a voice saying, Shall mortal man be more just than God? Shall a man be more pure than his maker? So Eliphaz here says, In the thoughts from the vision of this night, all this is taking place. And here is the crux of what Eliphaz is bringing unto Job. Based on his opinion, and based upon his quote-unquote and I say that like this, spiritual experience. The Lord gave me a word for you that will just fix everything. There's people like that come in your life. They are so spiritual. They are so spiritual and so plugged in that whenever they wake up in the morning, angels have kissed their cheeks. They are so spiritual and they sit down to breakfast you know, ravens have brought the sugar to put in their boat. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? And so they got some word from God, quote unquote, word from God for you. And so based upon their spiritual experience, the Lord gave me a word for you that will fix everything. 
So there, you have those type of friends, okay? Then you have the Bildads. The Bildads, Job chapter number 8, verses 8 through 10. He says, For inquire, I pray thee, of the former age, and prepare thyself to the search of their fathers, for we are but of yesterday and know nothing, because our days upon the earth are a shadow. Shall not they teach thee and tell thee and utter words out their words out of their heart? He says, He says, You, you need to you need to pray. Look back to, to yesterday, the former age, those those who went before us. Consider, consider those. Will they not teach you and tell you? And so Bildad, based upon his opinion, he says some traditional wisdom from the past some traditional wisdom from the past if you do just exactly like they did it'll fix everything amen and these, are, these are the types of things that happen in our life and I'm not saying that those ain't maybe in their own uh, right, right place maybe some good maybe some good advice but here it, it wasn't what was necessary it was not what was needed you cannot here's the thing you can't paint everybody's circumstance in the same line just because this one seemed to be so close and so similar to what this one is going through now, and you said, well, that's what worked for them. That may not work for this person in the present generation. Right. That'd be great. Be great if we'd have just a Rolodex cards that says whenever this has happened, this is what you do. Boom. Yay! That's not the case, though, folks. It doesn't work like that. So that was his thing. He said, if you just do what they did in, 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 in yesteryear, he said, then it's going to fix everything. Zophar then comes forward in Job 11, verse number 2. Zophar. He said, Should not the multitude of words be answered, and should a man full of talk be justified? Should thy lies make men hold their peace, and when thou mockest, shall no man make thee ashamed? For thou hast said, My doctrine is pure, and I am clean in thine eyes. But oh, that God would speak and open his lips against thee, and that he would shew thee the secrets of wisdom, that they are double to that which is. Know therefore that God exacteth of thee less than thy iniquity deserveth. Now, so far right here, it just seemed like a hard-line legalist right here. And what I mean is this. Zophar's estimation is this. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you do because it can't be fixed. <laughs> no matter what you do anyway, Joe, it cannot be fixed. And so we're seeing these different things. Elihu then comes in Job 32. And verse 7, and he says, I said days should speak and multitudes of years should teach wisdom. He was the younger of them. He was going to wait till all the others had spoken. He said, but there is the spirit of man and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth him understanding. Great men are not always wise. That's a true statement. A lot of these guys say some true statements. Neither do the age understand judgment. Therefore, I said, hearken to me. I also will shew you my opinion. And so here comes the younger of them, Elihu, to him. He says, I'm, I'm just going to give you my opinion just based upon the idea that no one else's opinion is worth. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. We have these people that come into our life. So let's just try anything and try to fix it because everything else, everybody else has already introduced to your life hasn't worked anyhow. Amen. But after all of these three, after these four in reality, there was still no answer to the why. There's still no answer to the why. In reality, to a certain degree, that had already been given to Job in Job chapter number 1, to a certain degree, because the Bible says in Job 1.10, Hast not thou made a hedge, Satan says, about him, and about his house, and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. Hast thou made a hedge 
about him. So the devil was accusing God of putting a hedge of blessing around about Job. So God then allowed the devil to tear down that hedge. But once he did, he found, guess what? Another hedge that Job had built. Which was Job's unshakable faith in his God. Huh? Something that Job... And why? Because we've seen it in his first reaction of praise and worship to the Lord after all that befell him. See, we are in good, we are in good standing today. If we don't just depend on the hedge that God has put around us, but we have also built a hedge. Huh? Yes, with our faith in God. See, some people's faith in God is just faith purely in the hedge he has around them. It's not faith in God, it's faith in what God does for me. Mm-hmm. Presuming that that's good. Yeah. Because people's faith sometimes come and goes based upon what's happening in their life. Because again, they've placed their faith upon what God does for them. But you need to go beyond the gift and get to the giver. Go beyond the healing and get to the healer. And let your faith be appropriately set in Him. So that when the hedge that God of His blessing has been dispatched around you, you still have the hedge that you have placed and it's your faith in God that says, you know what, I'm going to praise Him because He said He'd never leave me, He'd never forsake me through this, so I'm just going to stay faithful to Him in this. And yeah, someone say amen. That though He slay me, yet I will trust Him attitude. That Job, the rest of that scripture contains, but I will maintain mine own ways before him. I will maintain my own ways before him. You know what, you know what Job was saying in that? I'm going to continue to do what I've always done concerning the Lord. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's important. Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. I will maintain my own ways before the Lord if I prayed when the hedge of his blessing was there I'm going to pray whenever there's a breach in the wall if I attended church whenever I was certain that his hedge encircled me I'm going to attend the house of God whenever it seems like it's nowhere to exist I'm going to maintain my ways before the Lord if, 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 if I worshipped in the sanctuary with a $10 million smile on my face when there was there food on the table and money in the bank to boot and so on and so forth, then whenever it is lacking, I'm going to raise my hands and I'm going to... Amen. So, so he still had his hedge that was in place. Job said in Job 19, verse 25, he said, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth and though look at the confidence of Job and though after my skin worms destroy this body he says I'm dead I'm in the ground I'm deteriorating though after my skin worms destroy this body yet in my flesh shall I see God whom I shall see for myself and my eyes shall behold and not another though my reins be consumed within me Job says though if, if this thing would come to a place that I would even die 
What he don't know, God already made the thing you touch his health, touch his wealth, but you can't take his life. But Job didn't know that. And Job had even come to a place, uh, the wealth's gone, my health is failing. Even if I were to die and I'm decaying in the ground, I have this confidence alone that one of these days I will stand before the Lord. I will stand before, and not another, the same one. Huh? The same one that blessed me and the same one that others are saying cursing me. I'm going, to, I'm going to see him and my eyes will behold him and my reins will be consumed within me. He's going to still have full control in and of my life. The New Testament Gospels tell us not to fear the one who can destroy the body. But those, but those that are able to take both the body and the soul. So Joseph is saying, I know, and I'm, I'm not saying this, no disregard, but Job was basically saying, the worst thing that can happen to me is I could die. Right? I know none of us want to make an appointment with that any sooner than it has to be. But Job was saying that even in death, then I'm going to see the Lord. Because as Paul said, to live is Christ die is gain so Satan what can you do what can you do to a man that will worship the Lord in spite of not having an explanation why he's going through what he's going through what can you do with a man that will do that the answer is simple Satan can't do anything Satan can't do anything. So this morning, things happened in my life. I can't, always, I can't always tell you why I'm suffering. But we could tell each other how we're going to suffer. And that is we're going to praise God in it. Because in the perfected praise, there's an ordaining of strength in that. Amen? All things in life, they're not good. I've come too late to tell some of us that. They're not good. But God promises that all things will work together for our good. Amen. Priscilla Magruder said this years ago, and I'll close with this. Priscilla Magruder said this years ago. She may have even wrote a song about it. Not for sure. Her life had been ravaged by cancer. And she wrote, what once looked like a mountain is just a hill, she said from heaven's point of view. What once looked like a mountain is just a hill from heaven's point of view. So this morning we have heard of the patience of Job, but if we could interject this morning, have you heard of the patience of Margaret Garrett? Have you heard of the patience of Joella Jessup? Have you heard of the patience of Bob and Roxana Gross? What are you saying, Brother McGee? I'm saying people that hasn't necessarily got the answer to their why, but they've come to a realization of how. And that's through this right here. Worship and praise and honor and reverence to the King of glory. If you'll stand in this place, if we could lift our hands to the Lord this morning. Strength and praise, strength and worship. Hallelujah.
Hallelujah. If you find yourself going through a time that is very dismal today, hallelujah, just, just if you will, uh, please, you may not know the why. And we don't know what's happening in a realm beyond our own of this earthly matter. What's happening in the realm of the Spirit, you could very well just be evidence, if you will, for the Lord's plea that my people serve and honor me not because of what I do for them, but because of who I am. And so we just worship and praise and adore and there is a strength there is a power there is a strength there is an undergirding that comes from the Lord during those times amen and it helps combat if you will helps combat our adversary it helps combat the very things that the Lord has permitted him to test us with and tax us with and there might be voices saying this is what you need to do do just like they had done or I've heard from God this is what it is you got sin in your life that's why that happened you need just to shut out all the voices and tune in to your Savior tune in to the master of all things and just give him honor and worship God I don't know why but I know your promise you said you wouldn't leave me God I don't know why but I know your promise you said you wouldn't forsake me. And so, God, I worship you and I honor you for who you are. God, whenever the, de the defenses and all of the boundaries and hedges that you've placed around me have been torn down, let my hedge of faith stand strong because I know in whom I have believed. And he is faithful. He is so faithful. He is so faithful. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.